You're listening to the Moody Mommies Podcast. Audio warning. You may or may not hear kids screaming and yelling in the background. Or us screaming or yelling at them to keep it together. Hey guys, it's your Moody Mommies here. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Jessica. And today we are getting into a really good topic, which everybody needs a little love in. Mental health, guys. And we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Susanna Marquez. And she is a mental health therapist. And we're so excited to have her on with us. Hi, Susanna. Hi, you guys. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. No, we are I so excited. Honored. This has been like a long time in the works. No, we've been trying it to has. hunt you down. <laughs> <laughs> or you have to like hunt us down too because we're hor- <laughs> horrible. We are chasing babies all day. So we're really sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, we got to get back on that <laughs> podcasting life. <laughs> It'll be like a month and we'll be like, what happened to the moody mommies? What happened to those moody mommies? <laughs> Hey, it's like, no, that's not a problem at all. I remember we talked about it last year, actually. Um, and then we talked about it again at yeah. the Mamacitas event. Yeah, I know. You're like one of the first people to reach out to us that you're like, let's do a podcast together. And I was like, yes, we're doing this. And here we are a year later. Talking about it and talking about it. And so now today we are going to talk about it. We want to hear all about you and your you know how you got into mental health and just all everything that you think people would want to hear and they need to hear about this topic great well you know I have been working in mental health for over 15 years I actually got into it um doing clerical work I was just you know I was a an undergrad in college and I was working at this agency where They had psychiatrists and a lot of different clinicians, and I was doing all of the administrative work. Like, I was checking insurances and benefits and, you know, making sure people had the right coverage and who they were going to see and scheduling and all of that. And it was in that moment that I really started to get a feel of not only the terminology, but like what people were coming in for, what they were looking for, and also realizing what a big gap, because everyone that worked there did not speak Spanish. And sometimes clients called asking for services, and they were specifically looking for a clinician who spoke Spanish. And, you know, I was like, we don't offer that. And so I had to find like other resources to give them and it was very hard to connect them with people who spoke Spanish so I remember the owner of the practice was like oh well that will be you one day because he he um him and I had had a conversation that you know I was majoring in psychology and sociology at Cal State Long Beach and he's like well what do you want to do with that and I'm like well you know I'm fascinated by the way people behave like just how we interact or what drives us to do certain things and he was like, well, you know, there's a, there's a place for you here when, you, you know, when you graduate. And he's like, you're going to be that clinician who provides the services in Spanish because, you know, no one here does. And so I got really fascinated while I was working there. And I remember just taking it upon myself to, like, 
offer translation services for anyone that needed it. I would, they had different locations. So I was going to um, different locations and meeting different clinicians. And my undergrad work, once I got into like my major coursework, because I hated all my GE courses, but once I got into my major coursework, I was like, oh my God, this is so what I want to do. Because I originally went into college thinking, oh, I'm going to go to med school or I'm going to be a pediatrician because I loved working with children. But then I was like, yeah, I'm not going to sit here through chemistry. I'm not going to do all of these (laughs) science classes. Like, this isn't for me. And so when I switched, I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I want to do. And I've always had this nature of, like, having people come to me with their issues and just listening. And, you know, I've been fascinated by the way people behave. Like, I would sit and have lunch and just, like, people watch. And like watch their interactions and just body language. And I was like, oh, my God, that's fascinating. You know how sometimes, you know, whatever we're thinking can drive the way we behave. Or if we run into one friend, we can behave very differently to the way we're going to behave with someone else. And so I was just so fascinated. And that's so funny and working that there. I always like make, I always make fun of my boy or my husband now for doing that. I'm just like, ew, you act weird around your friends. <laughs> you know what though? That is so funny you say that because my husband now he when we were dating in college, he was like, What do you keep staring at? Like why he would it would bug him that I would stare at people and I'm like he just analyzing his like, behavior. <laughs> yeah, he was like, What are you looking at that guy for? Like what do you and I was like, You don't understand. I'm not looking at people because I'm like checking them out per se. I'm like looking at the way they interact. Like I was just fascinated by the way people behaved in their interactions. And I remember it it was a distraction at times because someone was talking to me, but I was like, something would, you know, catch my attention. I was like, Oh, interesting, you know whatever behavior was happening within that interaction. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And so it was never like, you know, because I was like, you know, being disrespectful at whatever interaction I was having and completely ignoring the conversation. I've always been a people watcher ever since I was younger. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, this fascinates me. Like, I love seeing how people interact when they're by themselves or when they're in a group. It's very different. It's very, very different. Mm -hmm. And so when those two combine together, And then um, I was taking all these courses and I realized, oh, my God, there's like so more to this. Like you can do so much work. And I met some amazing professors at Cal State Long Beach. That's like, you know, you should pursue a master's. You should get into this field like you have the abilities to do this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I really want to do this. And then I started working for a nonprofit where I would work with children who had like severe emotionally um, disturbances like they were either in group homes or they had been separated from their families and were with a foster family and they were having like major behavior issues at school and so you were working with like their school teachers or their probation officers or their um their social workers and so it was like a team of people and then working with all of them and um doing all of that is when i realized oh my God, I can really help these, you know, these families, I can really help these individuals. I can do more because I speak Spanish. And that was the thing. The moment I walked into that nonprofit, they're like, do you speak Spanish? And I'm like, yes. And so I would say that 90% of my cases were Spanish speaking families, you know, who were trying to be reunified with their children, going through like court mandated classes, dealing with social workers. And I was like, okay, 
I want to do more than just like, you know, be the person that helps you advocate for your children. Like, I want to know what's driving this. So I was because I was working with therapists and I wasn't a therapist yet. So I was seeing how they did the work and like, you know, what kind of stuff they said and what their education was like. So I'm like, I want to pursue this because I'm working with these children. I realized, yes, it's easy to like label them it's easy to say they're having this issue and that issue but where's it coming from like there's a reason why this is happening and that's what I wanted to do like I wanted to figure out like where is this happening where's this coming from like how can I help them heal but also help the family heal because there's such a there's a there's a backstory to everybody you know you gotta dig deep in one day and you go to school and you decide to ditch and become this problematic teenager like there's a reason why things are happening and I always felt stuck when teachers were like, no, this kid is doing this, this kid is doing that. And I was like, I want to advocate for this child because I know what's actually happening at home that's driving him to behave this way. And But I'm like, I can't do that because I'm not the therapist. So I'm like, I have to go get my master's. I have to pursue this. And that's really what drove me. Like, that's when I, you know, got my undergrad and then I went into my master's program. It sounds like you had a, a lot of support along the way you know like your boss was like there's a home for you here and your professor seemed like pretty good too was there any like challenges through all that other than of course like the coursework I'm sure is difficult there there were major challenges personally because I'm an only child and my dad was very sick at the time and so my undergrad was really really hard because I was you know taking care of my dad supporting my mom working full-time And so it was extremely hard to get on track with the coursework because it was demanding. And then I realized, well, I'm going to school full time. I'm working full time. Like there's not a lot of time for anything else. And then, you know, I would have emergencies where my mom would call me and like, oh, you know, your dad's in the hospital. So I'd have to leave. And so it was it was very challenging just because. I also had to take care of my family. Like I had to be there for my mom. I had to take care of my dad. And so a lot of times, you know, I had to put my school and my work on hold. But there was always that part of me that, you know, I was like, I need to do this. I need to do this because the more I put it on hold, then obviously it's going to take me longer. And so those were a lot of the challenges along the way. Besides, like you said, yeah, the coursework and then having to work a full time you know, and having to get home late at night to do my homework and then in the middle of the morning to catch up on readings and this and that. So definitely there was support, but there was a lot of personal challenges along the way that made it seem like I was never going to get to that goal. That sounds like a a lot. I'm proud of you. (laughs) I know when I was in school and my school was not psychology. (laughs) It was like art stuff. (laughs) It was like, draw this, paint let's make a color wheel like I'm in (laughs) kindergarten still (laughs) um yeah and I didn't even want to work full-time I was like nah I'm just gonna be a student (laughs) like I can't imagine having to do both I know and then when I started working it was still part-time and then I started going to school (laughs) part-time too (laughs) this is too much for me yeah it gets yeah it's super hard because I would work all day well, when I got to graduate school, I'd work all day and then I'd get to class like at 630 and then I wouldn't get out of there till like 10 o'clock mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, get home and have like, so I'd have like dinner 
you know, quote unquote, at school, whatever I packed for the day. And by the time I got home, I was exhausted, you know, and then I still had to like do homework, you know, or work on papers or then get ready for the next day workload because workload was also crazy. Like working for for county mental health is insane because your cases are the number of cases that you have being bilingual is really, really high. And it's just a lot of like they expect you to have like a high percentage of productivity with each family you're working with. And it's hard because you lose a lot of families along the way because, you know, they're like, oh, no, you're going to call, you know, the social worker because of this. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I already have a case with the social worker. I don't need any more. Or, you know, or people just unfortunately people fall through the cracks in the system. And it's just it's really sad because it's it gets to be more about paperwork than the actual process. So. Girl, I would sometimes sit in class and I was preparing my work load for the following day. Like I was in class hearing the lecture and I was thinking of like the clients that I had for the next day, the, you know, what I needed to work on with them, who I needed to call, the fact that I need to finish like my assessments and my reports. And I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, it was an ongoing thing. And then, you know, on top of that, a lot of the cases that I was dealing with were like very high crisis and very sensitive and a lot of like abuse and stuff so I would come home like affected because I would obviously think about my clients and am I doing things right did I miss something or if I had like I worked with a lot of teenagers who had um, suicidal ideation or had attempted suicide so you're always thinking you know did I miss something did I make the right call did I you know did I prevent this from happening this time? So it it can definitely affect you as a clinician too. So there was times where I was like, I need to set boundaries to be able to separate from this because I also have to have a social life. Like I also have to have fun and enjoy this process or it can be very draining. So along the road, you know, there was a lot of support, but definitely a lot of, um, personal so how what worked for you with being able to find that perfect balance and separating because I I always wanted to become like a psychologist for like teen I to me I feel like being a teenager is like the besides becoming an adult being a teenager is the hardest part of your life because it could either make or break you so when I was younger I wanted to become a therapist for teens but I just felt like I'm I'm kind of too emotional to be able to find that I'm going to leave that all at work and now come home and not let it tear me apart thinking about these kids and these really sad situations that they're dealing with and they're living with and Right. How did you how did you figure that out to be able to just not bring it home with you and tear you down in your own I mental health? I learned the hard way. I I had to go through it. It's like you can't avoid it and you cannot think that it's not going to happen to you like it has to happen to you in order for it to break you and make you a better therapist like it it does affect you and it's going to if it doesn't affect you I'm not saying you don't have a heart but she's saying you don't have a heart (laughs) (laughs) but you don't you totally don't you're a heartless cold person there's something missing because in order like in order for me to understand exactly what it was like to sit on the other side of the couch and and bear their soul and you know tell me exactly what was going on I also needed to be on the other side of the couch 
So what I ended up doing was it finally broke me and it finally made me realize in order for me to be a better clinician and understand exactly what my clients are going through a lot better, then I also have to sit on the other side of the couch and um, be the client myself. So there's a lot of graduate programs that require you to do um, your own personal therapy. My graduate program didn't, but I actually thought it would be a really good idea for myself to do that because I also needed to work through my own stuff and through 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 my own stuff, I was also going to go through my growth and understand People what better. drove me to be a clinician and also be able to provide better support for my clients. So that's the boundary that I that I realize this is what I have to do in order to be able to separate that at work and have a place like a a safe space where I could also vent about like the clients that I was working with or how that was affecting me so therapy for me has been like a lifesaver and I swear I think I am a better clinician and I know that I'm a better person and have grown to be a better human being because it's helped me realize okay I know what I'm doing as a clinician. I went to school. I have all this education, but I also want to connect with my clients to where they know. I know what it's like to sit on the other side. Like, it's not just someone who, you know, went to school and got all these degrees and read books. And I have no idea what it's like to have therapy because you're not going to have a connection that way. So that to me was my boundary. Like, I have to be able to, to have a place myself to where I can... um I can just vent all of this out there and put it out there and be able to know that I left it there and then I can go home to, you know, handle my my home life and my social life. life without feeling so heavy and overwhelmed. And is that something you still do till this day or is it something you just needed in the beginning? Oh, no, I still do. Girl, I had therapy this morning. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> I need a therapist. I still <laughs> do. It has been an ongoing process. Like, I've been in therapy for years and I swear I preach by it I'm like because I've had some gaps throughout like you know losing my previous therapist and having to find another one and and things like that so there's been gaps in there or even during my postpartum there was a huge gap in there where obviously I was so disconnected that I didn't realize that what I needed was to get back into therapy and start all that process again but it's something that I still do. Absolutely. What is like your advice for people who, because, you know, all therapists are so different, like not, they're not all going to treat you the same exact way. So how would you go about people who are kind of a little bit reluctant to see someone and let's say they just met with the wrong therapist, like that person wasn't for them? Like, what? how would you, I don't know, like, convince them go to about. go back? Yeah. Or like, okay to help them find the right person for them. It's like finding a primary care doctor. You know, sometimes you get assigned a doctor and you go to it and they're just completely horrible and you're like, I need to change my plan or I need to find someone else. It really is like testing water. You have to you have to research like the moment you find someone you want to make sure you, you know, read their bio whether it's on psychology today or learn more about them on their own website and what they're about and what they offer. It's like you're going in there and you're interviewing that person to see if they're going to be a good fit. Because as a clinician, you're also your our job is also to see, am I a good fit for this person? Like if if I find myself thinking, okay, first of all, I haven't like there's some things that I haven't worked with a lot. For for example, people who have an eating disorder, 
And so if someone comes in with me and that's their primary complaint and they're like, you know, I need treatment for an eating disorder, in order for me to take them and work with them, I would be doing them a disservice if I don't work with this population and yet I'm trying to treat them. Like I would be a very horrible clinician to this person because I wouldn't be able to do it. So if I did that, I would be doing something very ethically wrong. So, and that's like on the other side, if that client, I'm working with them and they're like, mm, you know, I didn't like her approach or she didn't like what I said or there was something there. Don't get turned off by that. Keep going. You're going to find someone. It's a process. It's not a one size fits all. It's not a, okay, this is the person I have and this is who I have to stick with. That's yeah. one, that's one big myth that I always tell uh, clients. Don't think that because you saw one person for the first time that you have to stick through with them just because you saw them already. No, you don't. If you didn't like their approach, if you didn't like something they said at the beginning, if there was something that, you know, there's a disconnect and, and um, maybe something culturally that, that they can't understand about your culture, stop it right there and on to the next one. You are not obligated in any yeah. way, shape or form to stick through with them. I was literally just telling my mom something like that because, of course, you know, like we're Mexican and we're like, oh, this certain area that she was looking at therapists. I'm like, yeah, mom, but like they don't really understand where we're coming from. So like they're not going to get why you keep like going back to something that's like why you're so forgiving all the time because, you know, it's easier for them to be like, ah, I'm going to cut you off. We're not family <laughs> <Yeah>. anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And those are things. And also that's so true. You want to look at, uh, you know, geographical location. Is this, you know, is this person in, in the community that you live in? Do they understand what community means? Do they understand, you know, do they speak your language? Do they mm -hmm. understand, you know, your, would they be able to relate to your story? Yeah. If someone, you know, like you, my parents are from Central America. Yeah. If they go to the OC, yeah, I don't, you know, 90% <laughs> of the time. That therapist is not going to understand what it was like to come here to be an immigrant, right. to work hard. Like, it's just not going to happen. And so that's a, that's the thing that there's also this, this really sad um, fact to being a clinician that a lot of clinicians will say, well, you know, I got my degree from... Pepperdine and I've got all this education and training and I know what it's like to be you know working with a diverse population that's all wonderful but if you are not Latino or if you're not African American you know and you're working in a, with uh, a population of the group of minority people you're not gonna understand the struggle the hardships and in no way shape or form I don't care if you learn Spanish in the you know best school you will not be able to connect with what that person is going through so it's really sad that a lot of people try to sugarcoat things with oh you know but I got the best education and I've got all these trainings under my belt and I think that sometimes our own people are so afraid of saying no and thinking that they have to be stuck with these clinicians that don't that don't do them a good service yeah so they're like oh well you know this is who my insurance assigned me so I have to stay here or they're not aware that they can, you know, go out of, you know, out of network or they don't know that they can, you know, find someone who offers a sliding scale who will be a better clinician. So it's about teaching the community that you guys have choices. You guys have options. Like, just like you don't have to stick, you know, with a bad doctor or a bad surgeon or a bad dentist or a bad mechanic, you're going to look for someone better. That's what you want to do with someone who's going to take care of your mental health. Yeah. 
I feel like a lot of people are so nervous to do it because it's like, well, I'm like opening up about things that are like hurting yeah, me, yeah. you know, like when it's a, very true when it's about like, oh, my stomach hurts, then they're just like they'll deal with whoever they get assigned to. I but. don't. If I don't like my doctor, I'm like, oh, never see this person ever again <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yeah, it took me a while to get to that point. I'm like that now. I'm really picky like, with my eh. doctors. Yeah, it it's true. It's true because also you are afraid that once you open up, you know, you're opening up Pandora's box and you're thinking, well, I already shared this. I don't want to relive the trauma. Mm-hmm. Or now I'm going to restart and tell somebody exactly. the same thing again. Exactly. Or, you know, or I don't want to, you know, I've pushed these thoughts way back in my mind and I've been avoiding this issue for so long. If I tell you now and then I have to go tell someone else because you didn't work out, mm-hmm. do I want to do that again? So absolutely. the it, There's a huge vulnerable aspect to, you know, clients opening up. And I think that that's what's so sacred about us being a clinician. And we have to respect that and honor that because for a person to come through your door and sit there and tell you, you know, their darkest secrets or their darkest trauma or, you know, the struggles that they've been through, you have to be able to honor that and respect that because it's like, you know, for you to walk through that door and have made that commitment to sit here and make this appointment and tell me that, that that's huge. Like, that's a really big step. And, and that's where sometimes I think that within our community and our culture, there's not enough of us clinicians available for that. And so our people, you know, end up in the wrong hands and they don't get the services that they truly, truly need. Yeah. Have you ever had um, like the opposite where like, or I mean, well, the same thing where you felt like, eh, I don't really connect to this client. Yeah. And they totally loved you and they kept coming back. (laughs) You know what? I, yeah, I did have a few of those when I was uh, practicing and getting my hours before getting licensed. I did have a few clients where, you know, because when you're getting your hours, you're put in so many different settings. And there were times when I was working a lot with very high functioning clients who made therapy very more like a like a luxury. Like I'm just here because I want to talk about. You know, someone cut me off their budget and (laughs) that kind of thing. And I was just like, oh, man, I cannot connect with you at all. You're just like doodling on your notepad. It was really hard. It was a struggle because, A, I had to be there because this, this was my training and this is where I was accruing my hours. So it wasn't like I could just get up and be like, sorry, I'm not going to, you know, be your, <laughs> your clinician. But that's what supervision was for. And that's where we had like groups of supervision where we would, you know, talk to our, our licensed supervisors and say like, you know, there's this disconnect and we would find ways to work through it with some. And sometimes they were just like, okay, you're not the right fit. And we have to, you know, do a transfer to someone else because absolutely. I just felt with some clients where I was like, ah, oh, you know, that there are other, you know, like, there's bigger problems out there. Like there's people who are truly suffering versus, you know, not having the budget for whatever trip you can't go on, you know? Oh so, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, we're not on the same board. <laughs> they need to go to the OC therapist for that one. Yeah. <laughs> right? Get over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you, so I'm sure you've had to ha- tell a client like, um, I'm going to recommend you to this other clinician. Absolutely. I've had, I've had to tell clients I'm going to refer them to other clinicians. One, because, um, you know, there's a disconnect and, you know, maybe we've been meeting for quite some time and there hasn't been any progress and the client's not 
putting in the work and expecting, you know, me to do everything. So that's when we're like, okay, let's, you know, review your goals, what's going on. Maybe there's, they're, they're, they're not putting in the work or maybe it's just, we need to try someone else. And I've also had to tell clients that they're going to be treated by someone else during when I was practicing and getting my hours because I was working with at-risk youth. So I was working with a lot of teenagers with gang violence and, you know, jail time and incarceration and all that stuff. And I did have a few that were very forward with, oh, you know, I like you. I think you're very pretty and just um, trying to take make take the relationship elsewhere. And that's when I was like, yeah, OK, time okay. to I mean, I'm very open. I'm a very open clinician where it's like, OK, you know, let's explore where that's coming from. If the client is comfortable wanting to share that. But if then the client pushing boundaries and and to take the relationship elsewhere obviously that's when I'm like okay now it's time to go now it's time for you to see someone else I can't see you anymore this is absolutely not that kind of situation and so I did have a few of those when I was practicing where I was kind of like oh my god what am I (laughs) what am I gonna do with this client but you know you you go through the process and you have you know great supervisors who and mentors who who lead you through that and tell you, you know, how to work through that because we all go through it. Like it happens to, I would say 99% of us clinicians where we deal, we have that one client who doesn't understand boundaries and thinks, you know, they're going to be sitting there chatting and trying to get into your head and learn about your personal life Mm. rather like, Oh, this is my hour to chat (laughs) and get to know you. And it's like, no, that's not what this is for. Pump the brakes. This is exactly. how you, okay? <laughs> exactly. Wrong room. Um, okay, so do you, I see you on Instagram talking a lot about postpartum depression. Is that like your specialty? So that one, that is one of my specialties. I, I've, thankfully I've gained a lot of training and I've done a lot of different um, certifications for different issues that, you know, come along with mental health but after I had my son and I went through my own experience of postpartum depression it was something that definitely intrigued me and I wanted to learn more about because unfortunately it's still something that we really don't talk about and it's swept under the rug and it's it's made seem like oh it's just because you're a first-time mom and you haven't slept and you're hormonal but it's definitely not that it's way more than that so I definitely did a lot of research and did a lot of reading and did some trainings on that And so that's when I'm like, I want to be able to also offer this as one of my specialties because I want to help moms know that, you know, you can go through this and, you know, get better. And it is something that does happen. Like, it's not something that should be ignored. It's not something that should be swept under the rug. And there is support. And you're not the only one. Because I know when I was going through it, I felt like the only one. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your personal experience with it well for me it was just a really really dark time like I connected with my son but I just also had a lot of insecurities and doubts and fears that were more than you know your normal fears like it was to the extreme like I wasn't able to function I was crying constantly I was not sleeping I felt like I wasn't being a good mom I judged and did the guilt trip on everything that I did I was I was in a very dark place and so a lot of times I felt like in order for my son to be better I didn't I 
wasn't supposed to be in the picture. Like in order for him to have a good life, I needed to remove myself from the picture. So I shielded myself and I didn't go out a lot. I didn't want to have a lot of people come over. It was a really rough time for my husband and I because we weren't seeing eye to eye. We were struggling a lot to connect. And I just clung to my son. Like it, he was like my savior. But at the same time, I felt like everything I did with him was wrong. Like I'm like, I'm not being a good mom. I'm not doing things right. I'm not taking care of him the way I should. I was, I cried every day. I cried every, every day. I didn't eat. I wasn't getting sleep at all. You know, I spent days with like not showering, not changing, just completely disconnected from, from reality in a sense. And after my son turned one, like about two months later, my dad passed away. So then I really spiraled out of control. And then that was more of a darker period where I thought, okay, in order to end this pain, then I do have to end my life. Like I should do something about this. And it was never, and never, never did I want to harm my child. Like I'm so clear about that because he was actually the person that kept me alive. Like I didn't want anyone to hold him. I didn't want anyone to touch him. Like I was like, I already lost someone. I'm not going to dare lose you. And I felt like he would only be safe with me. But yet, because I had lost my dad, I was thinking, okay, well, bring my dad back and take me instead. My son's not going to have a good mom because I'm not a good mom and I'm in such a bad place. So it was a period that I felt like I was in the darkest, darkest tunnel and the little bit of light that I was starting to see when he turned one was immediately shut shut off when my dad passed away. And then it was months and months of like complete darkness where I lost extreme amount of weight. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. And I was, you'd find me on the floor just crumbled and broken and crying. And my son was asleep and I would just sit there and just cry and cry and cry. And I, I, and then I was angry. I was just so angry at feeling like such a complete failure and like a complete mess. And I was like, this, this isn't right. Like I knew in the back of my head, you know, as a clinician, I'm like, this isn't right. I shouldn't, you know, I, I need to, you know, get help. But then I was so afraid. I was like, if I say something, they're going to say that I'm a bad mom, that I'm not doing things right, that, you know, I should be happy. And cause that's what you hear. You're like, Oh my God, this is the best time of your life. And everyone's here for the baby. And I didn't really have the support. I mean, my mom was here, my husband worked all the time, but I just didn't feel that people were here to support me. It was more of like, people were here because of the baby, but I was like pushed to the side completely. So I didn't feel that I mattered. So then I was like, if I don't matter, then why am I here? You know, if, you don't care about me. So then, you know, I'm just taking up space. So it was really bad. It was really bad. While you were pregnant, did you have any like depression signs already or it didn't come until he was born? I did have, but because I was finishing up my doctorate and working full time at the same time, I thought I was just under a lot of stress. I thought it was just that I was doing way too much while pregnant because I was finishing up uh, my doctor program. I was working full time. I was going to school full time. I was working, you know, in county mental health. So my my caseload was very large. So during the periods of my anxiety and my depression while pregnant, I thought it was because, okay, I'm afraid because obviously I'm a first time mom and it's, you know, a whole different ball game. 
I'm stressed out because of school. I'm stressed out because of work. I'm stressed out because we have to get the nursery ready. Like I thought it was everything else, but the fact that I was depressed and anxious. And when was the point where you finally reached out for help? I reached out to someone while I was pregnant, but it was very, it was more about just kind of dealing through the entire process of pregnancy while going to school and working full time. So I did, didn't really dig deep. But as far as my postpartum, he, my son was born in October of 2014. I didn't reach out to someone and actually start getting help till the summer of 2016. So almost two years. Wow. It's a long time to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Trust me, those those two years are like a lot of them are very just hazy and just like like it was someone else. Like when I think back at that time, I'm like, holy crap, like I can't believe that I'm thankful that, you know, now I can look back at that. And and it's driven a lot of the work that I do and I'm in a, a way better place. But that's when I'm like. I know that I'm not the only one that's gone through periods like that. And I want to help those moms not get to that extent because I went almost two years before I reached out to someone. By the time I reached out to someone and got the help, I was a complete mess. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't function. Like I was even surprised my son was still alive that I was able to, cause I was breastfeeding. And that's like the one thing that had, I had like my bonding moments with him where, you know, I, we'd continue to breastfeed but I wasn't sleeping. I was like at my breaking point. Like I was really, really in a bad place. And, and when I finally sat down and told someone what I was going through, I remember just crying for a full straight two hours in my, in my session, because that's how long it took for me to actually get everything out and put myself back together. And that clinician was like, you know, like I could tell now when we look back at that, where he was like, you were in such, such a bad place. And I'm like, yeah, I truly was. And were you still seeing patients during this time too? No, no, I stopped, I stopped working when I had my son. So I quit my agency work. And then when he was like five months, they reached out and asked me to come back from my maternity leave. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm going to stay home and be a stay at home mom and enjoy this time. But I couldn't. Yeah, I was like, I cannot come back to work for you guys with uh, how demanding it is and how, um, how how much of a of a caseload I'm going to have. And he's yeah. just, an, you know, a newborn. So, yeah, no, I definitely wasn't working when all of that was happening. How long did you end up breastfeeding him for? He's going to be four years old in October, and he, he still breastfeeds sometimes. Dude, me, yeah. and Vanessa, me and Vanessa were talking about this, and I don't know like what your thoughts are on it. Like While we were breastfeeding, we felt like really down and like not really ourselves. And until like they like weaned, then we started feeling like, oh, I'm a normal person again. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes I feel really touched out where I'm like, I don't want him near me because I'm like, really, dude, like, you don't need it. Like, let me be. I need my space, especially with the heat. I'm like, no, you do not need to be (laughs) on my boobs. Like, no, you had a good meal. Like, stop. 
But then I realized that now, obviously, he's going to be four. It's definitely a lot less. He does. It's more like it's more like his way to bond and connect with me because he's not getting, you know, um, you know, like a full breastfeeding session. Like when he was younger, it's just like, mommy, I need you and I want to snuggle with you and that kind of thing. And I'm like, that's fine. But we definitely have some boundaries sometimes where I'm like, not right now. Give me a few minutes like you don't need it. You're just being a little fussy and, and wanting mama to sit with you. Because, you know, you want my attention. So there's definitely a lot more space. But it's true. There were times when I was so depressed that breastfeeding felt like a challenge. Because I'm like, God, when is this kid going to wean? Like, I I can't do this. It felt like a job, a huge job within itself to just continue to do so. But then at the same time, I didn't have the energy to get into the winning process I didn't have the 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 mental state to begin that I I was going to torture him and I felt that that was going to create more anxiety and sadness for me so that's why we kept it going and it actually was my bonding time with him because I remember you know sitting in my recliner and nursing him and just you know smelling his head and, and just thinking all the wonderful things that I felt when I was with him so so, yeah, technically, like I told you, he was like, he was the one I was holding on to for my dear life. Yeah. And he's your only son, right? He's my only one. I'm one and done, girl. <laughs> I struggle Smart. with that. I struggle <laughs> with that one every day. I am one and done. And he never asked for a sibling? You know, he really doesn't. It's been like one time that I said we were out with someone and uh, she has two little boys. And I'm like, oh, you know, because they, sh- they, you know, learned how to share because they have a brother. And he said to me, Isaac doesn't have a brother. And I said, I know. And that's perfectly fine. You have, you know, all these kids that you play with. And then I joked with my friend. I was like, and he's not going to get a brother. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am done. Yeah. But I think it also comes down to the fact that, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm an only child. You're going to be perfectly fine. But for the most part, it's the fear of going through that again that does yeah. scare me and stops me. And also, you know, I I'm not a young chicken girl. Like I'm 38. I'm like to be able to I'm not going to do this again. Like I'm going to be 40 in 2 years. I do not want, you know, I it's just it wasn't easy. And then I think to myself, you know, I'm I'm definitely not young, so there's definitely more precautions that you have to take yeah. with a baby and the whole process. So I'm like, you know what? I have my boy. We're good. I'm 38 and I don't know if I could, you know, do it again. And and I miss my work. And now that I'm getting back into it and, and being back there, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I'd be able to 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 take that step back again, to have to take care of, you know, an infant and do it all over again. And and yeah, yeah. fear kicks in and you're like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Let's be safe and not go there. Yeah, that, <laughs> I think that's what gets me a lot, too, is like I'm really afraid because Justine is like... But she hangs out with all her cousins, all have siblings, so she sees it all the time, and she's just, Mommy, after my birthday, can you have another baby? And I'm like, ew, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Cut it out. Cut it out. I try You're to, like, child, <laughs> don't you I like- I take you to Disneyland. <laughs> I know. I, we go to Disneyland all the time. I'm like, don't you like just being you and Mommy, and you and Mommy and Daddy? Mm, but we can have a baby. And I'm like, ugh, no convincing you. <laughs> My oh, husband man. was an only child, so he was not 
okay with having just one baby. He was like, nope, I, it was very boring growing up. So you got to give me two babies. And I'm like, at least he told that's me. it. Two babies and I'm done. Done for life. You know, yeah. I've heard that experience from some older children, you know, from some, I'm sorry, from some children who are only kids. And I think it varies. Yeah. Like I, I, I was such a social butterfly. Like my mom would always say, man, you'll talk to the rocks if it's possible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, I was like, and I was like, hey, you know, like, you know, yeah, I didn't have anyone to share with. You know, my cousins and I weren't very close. And, you know, and even now, one of them has uh, a set of twins that are only like five months apart from Isaac. But we rarely see them. And I'm like, dude, like, you're going to make friends. You're going to, you know, sometimes you find your own family, you know, like you yeah. find your own family members out there. It doesn't necessarily have to be blood. And I've seen like some of the relationships with people who have siblings. And I'm like, I'm not missing out on anything. Like, if that's what <laughs> you call not. having a sibling, like, I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, sure you I, hear it too while you're at work. Oh, my God, my brother this or my sister that. And you're like, hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes <laughs> it has its moments of drama. I've seen some really harsh things between siblings that cut very deep. And I'm like, man, you know, I'd rather have an enemy than, you know, if that's what my sibling would do to me, like, I'm good. Like, I don't want that. And so, you know, it varies. And I've seen some very, very close families that I'm like, man, if I would have ever had a sibling, I would have loved to have like that kind of relationship where you know, they're best friends and they're taking care of each other or, you know, whether it's a brother and a sister or two sisters, whatever the case is, and that you see that family, like, really working together and helping each other. They're still calling each other assholes behind their back. Totally. <laughs> you know they are. There's a mutual respect, you know? Like, you you know, I'm all for being up front with another, you know, with a family member or someone you have a good relationship with. But you do see those families that ha- that can move past that, you know, that can move past the hardships and still be there for one another. Yeah. And then you can see the families that are really willing to backstab one another just for or you know yeah. anything we know a couple bu- totally yeah, a know. couple bucks or living it <laughs> a house or whatever the case is and i'm like yeah yeah our our moms are sisters and they're like they're i guess a group of 10 like my grandparents had 10 children so there's always something going on something somewhere brewing. Oh, yeah. girl my mom's the oldest of 10 wow and there was actually 13 of them but the last three passed away when they were young and number 13 actually died when my grandma was going into labor so my mom had to raise them all and i'm like man mom like there's like a a few that give her the respect she deserves the other ones think they can walk all over her and i'm like oh hell no like there's family drama and i'm like yeah you need to be able to put you know set some firm boundaries and that kind of stuff because yeah it happens and you that's know, why family. you're an only child. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Isaac's going to be an only child, too. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, you're such a busy, busy woman. You're involved with, like, a lot of groups. You have Latina Mothers Collaborative. You're doing the columnist for Mommy in LA Magazine. Can you tell us about all that stuff? For Mommy in LA Magazine, she reached out to me last year and was like I checked out your profile and it's funny because we have the same last name Marquez and she's like you know we have the same last name and it would be so great if we could sit down and talk 
And when so she when she reached out to me originally, she was going to do a feature on me and do my whole story. And but when we met and we started talking, she's like, oh, my God, I would love for you to be a part of the magazine. Can you write for me? And I'm like, yes, like, absolutely. And we had like a really long meeting. And then my story ended up not happening because her photographer was out of town and we couldn't sit down and get my pictures taken. But then I got into the process of writing for her. And so I was just, you know, writing out columns and, and having them out twice a month. And she was putting them out. And that's how it really came about. Like, she was like, I found your profile. I love what you're doing. I want to feature you. Can we sit down? And then in talking, that's when she said, hey, would you, you know, be a part of this project with me? And I was like, absolutely. I loved the vision that she had. I loved what she was aiming for. And that's how we started working together. And that's how I became her columnist. And, you know, we were there last week for the launch party, which was so much fun. And I'm so excited. And I know and, we're so sad we missed it. We're like the, I, we're really bad at social media. We just you know we see stuff, but we just never make plans because we're so busy. And then we see the events and we see everybody that we love there, and we're like, oh, we yeah. missed it. Yeah, I it's know already, it happens to me too. Sometimes over. I miss out on some good ones, and I'm like, darn, I totally forgot that that was you know on this day or that yeah. day. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how she reached, um, you know, she reached out to me and that's how we connected and I started working with her. And then with Latina Mothers, I heard from a, mu a mutual mom that I knew that was in the group or to begin with, or she had gone to like one, one of their meetings and I heard from her and I reached out to Marisol and said, hey, you know, like, I'd love to be a part of this. This is what I do. So same thing, we sat down and had a coffee and then before we know it, we had like this long hour conversation or I think it was like a two hour conversation and she's like, I'd love to introduce you to the other women, like come to one of our meetings and it's been a year that I've been a part of this group and I'm really excited because, you know, we're doing wonderful things and I love what she has started because it's absolutely wonderful how she has a little bit of everything within the group that we can all provide services to, you know, moms in the community. And so when she told me what she wanted with, with Latina mothers and what her vision was, I was like, oh, my God, I found my tribe. Like, I found my niche. This is exactly what I've been aiming for. This is who I want to work with. This is who I want to, you know, collaborate with. And, and that's how it all started, too. And, yeah, I went to one of their meetings and I introduced myself and she's like oh you know everyone was like yay you know we have our mental health person and on board and so yeah that's how it all started and it just felt very organic and natural and it was just both of the meetings with them just felt very organic it was so nice to you know see the face from social media when you connect with people mm -hmm. on social media to in person and it just it was like oh my god I feel like we've known each other for a while and with Annabelle we're like, oh, my God, we share the same last name. And then she started sharing some some things about her husband trying to get into the field of psychology, too. And I was like, oh, that is amazing. And, and just a lot of similarities. And she's like, OK, you're you know, you're my adopted sister because of the last name. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's my last name because, of, you know, because of my husband. But I'm like, sure. So yeah. it was it felt very natural. And it, it, I'm really happy we connected. Can you tell um, our listeners a little bit more about what uh, Latina Mothers is about? So Latina Mothers Collaborative is a group of professional women and we work towards fostering and educating, you know, the mothers in the community. So 
Marisol, who's a founder, she's a doula and a childbirth educator. And, you know, she works with all the pregnant mamas, getting them ready for birth and doing the belly, belly binding and all that kind of good stuff. And then we have Carolina, who's a photographer, and she does, you know, wonderful pictures and family portraits. And then there's myself, who's all, you know, all mental health. And then we have Natalie, who's a chiropractor. So she does a lot of working with moms during their pregnancy and the families and after. We have Christina, who works, you know, she's like a women's studies and gender professor at Dominguez. So they're, and, and Renee, Renee's a yoga instructor for pregnant moms and also a professor at, I believe it's Cal State LA. And then we now have Danelia, who's, who's also, you know, a doula and does oh, the yeah, placenta. Danny the doula. Yes. And so we're all together trying to work towards educating and empowering and just giving back to the community with the mothers and giving them, you know, services that they obviously need and that are beneficial to them but also in providing this space that's sacred, that creating events where people, you know, where moms can come and connect with other moms and mingle and network and learn. And, you know, even their spouses or their partners, or we have events for the kids. And it's bridging the gap for these types of things that we don't have in the community, you know? So it's creating a space where our mujeres, our moms, our women can come and say, wow, you know, I can totally relate to this person or I totally want her to be my doula because she completely understands where I'm coming from and can provide me that those services that a Caucasian doula would not be able to provide. Or she understands my culture. She understands my language. She understands, you know, my my traditions. So it's definitely that kind of space. And I'm just so happy that we're able to provide a little bit of everything within that space yeah it's amazing i follow you guys and i'm just like they do everything this is like full circle here and we have an event coming up august yeah. 25th i'm so gonna plug that right now yeah yeah yeah. i know i have it on my list of things for you i'm like let me let me hear these events yes we have an event it's at my office and it's august 25th it's a saturday from 10 to 2 and so natalie who's a chiropractor and myself we're opening up this workshop so we're going to do an educational workshop with how intertwined physical and mental health is. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you had a baby four years ago like myself or you just had a baby. It's about learning how important it is to care for that. So we're going to be, you know, talking about what it is, you know, when it comes to, you know, like Natalie, you know, what does what does chiropractic care look like? Why is it important? Why do we need to have these you know, appointments and services and so forth. And, and what does it really do for your body? You know, when, cause our body shifts and everything, you know, gravity shifts and everything moves around when we're carrying that baby. So we're not the same. Like, you know, there's, I feel aches and pains on my back all the time. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, you're carrying this human being and then, you know, breastfeeding, you're definitely having to adjust your body and then your mental state absolutely changes. Like there's so many different changes hormonally and in the and in the brain chemistry when you're pregnant and after you have a baby. So our workshop is really about education. We're going to have some exercises that we're both going to do and we're going to, you know, do it at MySpace and we're going to be able to provide the education that these moms need, provide the group exercises, 
you know, have some Q&A. So I'm really excited because people get to see what my space looks like. And it's a intimate. We're hosting, you know, 15 women. So, you know, 15 tickets are for sale. You know, we started them last night and, you know, we're definitely going to have a nice, morning and afternoon where you're going to walk out of there definitely saying like, okay, I can use this on my own. I, or, you know what? I definitely want to call this chiropractor or this clinician because I could definitely use a little bit more of this, you know? So it's just, it's definitely opening up the, the doors to the conversation because we don't have these conversations. You know, we go about our days and we do so much. And I don't think we realize that we do way more sometimes than we thought we were. And we like, we have to stop and say, okay, what does my body need? What does my mind need? What does my heart need? You know, there's a lot of different things that we have to take care of. Yeah. And I, I love that you're keeping it a small group because that gives everybody the chance to be heard and feel like they're able to talk included. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why we decided to, to make it that way because we definitely want it to be intimate. We want it, we want people to know that it's a sacred space. What you say there is confidential and just like it would be in therapy. You know, you open up to as much as you want to. And if you don't want to ask anything, but you want to ask based on a friend or a family member, by all means, you know, you're not being judged. And so we're really excited. So it's, it's you know, it's Natalie, Dr. Natalie Wilson from Full Chiropractor Circle and myself at my office through Latina Mothers. Good. I'm excited for that for you guys. And that's going to be in Long Beach, right? Yes. Okay. Awesome. I hear Isaac getting crazy back there. <laughs> yeah. He's uh. definitely taking too long to, to go to bed. He does not want to go to bed still. So. Uh, that's probably what's going on in my house too. Yeah. But I, I left the, <laughs> the Ford over there. Um, okay. Um, I mean, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff was there anything that we missed that you wanted to let our listeners know about you know what follow me on me myself and mommy on instagram and heal and grow therapy on instagram too and and um you know i'm always open to have conversations for anyone who wants to reach out and talk to me so i know that sometimes people are afraid to like send a question through someone else because they're not you know they're not sure how it's going to be seen. So I'm always like, you can DM me, you can reach me through my social media. I'm open for that. And I'm available. Like I have spaces available for clients now. So, so you are you know, back at work now. I am now. I, I fully am. Awesome. But I am in my own practice. And so it's my own space and it's my own hours and that kind of stuff. So I don't, I'm not working through an agency or anything like that. Congratulations on that. Yeah, Thank you very much. Thank you so, so much. This was so insightful. I feel like I know oh. you're going to be hearing from me very soon. <laughs> Yay. I'm glad. I'm glad. I always say therapy is never a bad thing. Therapy is never something that should be looked down on. If people say, I'm going to go to therapy. Absolutely. And you should. And I think that not everyone can get to that point. Everyone needs their own, you know, point you know their own moment to get to that some people will say oh my god you do therapy like why and they have that judgment towards you but it's like you know what we're all gonna get to that point in our life where 
something's gonna happen and something's gonna change and we're gonna suffer a loss or a really you know bad time in our lives and that's what we're here for just like medical doctors who are there you know to take care of us if something happens to our health or surgeons or you know we got to go to the dentist even if we don't want to well that's what we're here for my husband once shared like something he read i don't even know where he read it from and it was basically said was you know every day we take a shower and we clean our body but how are we cleaning our minds? How are we taking care of ourselves mentally? Amen to that one. Absolutely. That I is love so, that. So and I, it's always stuck in my head. Like I need to get myself to a therapist and I yep. still haven't. That's what we're here for. And, and I think that when you find the right one, you realize, oh my God, what did I, you know, why was I waiting so long for this? Or I'm so thankful that I found the right one because it is a process, but that's what we're here for. And I, that's why I'm glad that Isaac already knows like sometimes he will go with me to my session and and he will tell me mommy terapista ahora and i'm like yeah terapista ahora that's where we're headed and he likes to go there because he's you know they have you know toys and stuff like that and he's playing but i want him to understand that there's nothing wrong with that word there's nothing wrong with you growing up and being an uh, a latino male who goes to therapy like al contrario be be able to say that you're going to do that will take you a lot further than stigmatizing it and saying like, oh, I don't do therapy and having to really need it. And you're just in major denial. Yeah. Yeah. And especially men, like you're saying, mm-hmm. like, oh, exactly. Exactly. So I'm like, I want him to know that this is something healthy, that this is, you know, there's nothing wrong with therapy. There's nothing wrong with going to it. And there's nothing wrong with needing it. There's nothing wrong with, you know, like myself who work in it. And if he ever needs to go at some point, by all means, son, go ahead. Because there's just things that if you don't ever, ever seek help for it, they're going to deteriorate. Like your health is going to deteriorate. And let's say that you have like diabetes and you never get that checked out. You're going to suffer physically and it could potentially lead to death. So if you're not taking care of whatever trauma you've had or whatever suffering or loss or pain or addiction and then it's gonna get really ugly so why wait till then you know Mm -hmm. and unfortunately some people do wait till then and unfortunately some people you know never get the help they need and it and it ends up really really bad yeah (sighs) well listen stana thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us i know we work at odd hours we do. So on the late night hustle. I know. I know. <laughs> I understand, girls. Mine should be sleeping already, but he didn't nap and we were out at City Walk all day and he's just full of excitement and of course he's used to mama to go to bed and so he's still like thinking, Oh well since mommy's up, I'm I might up. as well be up. Tell him to say Moody Mommy's podcast. <laughs> okay. Say hold on. Say Moody Mommy's podcast. Moody? Moody? Mommy's? Mommy's? Podcast. Podcast. Oh. <laughs> Yay, Isaac. <laughs> That's so sweet. Thank you. Aww. So, yeah. So, he's like, Mommy's up, so I should be up, too. <laughs> but it's like, no, kiddo. Time to bed now. I know. If you listen to our first couple podcasts, it's all the kids in it the entire time. <laughs> So we're like, we got to switch these recording laughing. hours. Like, Girl, I have clients call me sometimes and I'm in the car and I'm like, I don't say a word. Like, I'm on the phone. 
or I'm talking here at the house with someone that I have a meeting with or someone and he's running around screaming and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, that's what being a mom is about. That's mm-hmm. just how it is. That's what we do. But, you Can't know, when at the end off. of the day, I'm like, we deserve a lot of praise and a lot of credit and a lot, a lot of respect because we do a lot, yeah. a lot, a We're lot pretty of magical. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing what you do for our community because yes. we need you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I'm all for it. And I hope to see you guys at, um, you know, at our event or at another event soon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And let's do this again. We should podcast again together. Whenever you have an event coming up or something, we could set something up so we could promote it and get people on their mental health. Yes. Because everyone need needs mental health. Okay. I will definitely let you guys know. And, and yeah, we can definitely have another conversation at some point, too. We can definitely keep it going, see, you know, what kind of questions come out. If people want to ask questions after hearing this, you know, we can definitely kind of do like a continuum of this one. And I think it would be a good one or even a live. We can do like a live to get people to ask questions and, you know, do something like that or or have them send it your way. And we can ask the questions on the podcast. Our face is never together for lives. (laughs) Mine's together today. Yours is. Nobody (laughs) could ever look at me. I have adult acne now. Oh, stop. (laughs) You guys are too funny. (laughs) All right, Susanna, thank you so much for staying up late with us tonight. We really appreciate it and all of your... Thank you. Thank you. I was so excited for this. I've been looking forward to this since we finally put it in the books. I'm so happy. Us too. Thank you guys so much. I'm very honored to be on it. I mean, I follow you guys. I've listened to all your podcasts and I'm so happy you know that in my journey I found you guys too because you guys really touch on some really really important and crucial topics that you know a lot of times we don't want to talk about or we're afraid to talk about thank you we really try yeah and you guys you guys are just too cute both of you like your sense of humor and and just the way you guys do it it's like oh my god I'm so happy I'm on there (laughs) thank you so much you make our job easy Mm -hmm. oh I'm glad I'm glad (laughs) all right babe we'll we'll talk to you soon okay you guys have a good night you You too. too Thank you. Okay, Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Um, that was nice. I like that. I love it. Um, so this past weekend, I did that event that we talked about last week, the Global Latch On. Yeah. How was it? It was good. I mean, obviously, I didn't latch on because I'm not nursing Justine anymore. You're all dried up. I'm all dried <laughs> up. Just little drops that come out randomly. Like, what is that? Am I still It happens, right? I swear yeah. that happened to me the other day. And I go, Joey, fuck. <laughs> Is what that is normal? <laughs> like, I stopped breastfeeding, like, how long ago already? Well, not that long ago, but... I stopped a long time ago and just, like, randomly, like, usually, like, after my period, like, a little no drop will come out. I didn't know that. I was, like, kind of freaked out. I was like, is that normal? I know. I was Googling it. I was like... I didn't Do Google I it. I'm surprised <laughs> I didn't. Seriously. Uh, yeah, but, um, not enough, not enough to latch on a baby. Yeah. <laughs> But I got to hear a lot of other moms' stories and experiences with, like, public breastfeeding and stuff. And it was really, like, intense to everybody be like, okay, latch on for one minute. Ripping their boobies out. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I seen a lot of nipples today. (laughs) I think this is a record, too. (laughs) But um, it was actually thrown by Latina's Mother's Collaborative, which we were talking about today. Um, they're like really big breastfeeding advocates too um, and my friend Christina from Booby Life it was their collaboration project together and it was really successful I was a little nervous to talk in front of everyone but 
um i did it i'm like such an introvert it's insane i'm sure you did great i'm i'm fine behind the computer but when when i have to be in front of people i'm like don't look at me (laughs) i know and it felt a little off because most panels that i've have gone to seeing you know there's like a little stage and everybody's looking at you because you're like up on a high rise but this was like we're just kind of sitting in the grass with everyone and like the mic was passed around so it was more comfortable but i almost felt like nobody could really see me and i don't feel like standing up so you're like pay attention to me <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh and i got to like um, talk about us and you know our podcast a little bit so that was nice to let people know yeah what we're doing here and yeah to hear everyone's struggles there was this one mom who has lupus and is still breastfeeding her son oh so goodness. we should try to get her on and hear her story that'd be amazing That'd be a good story to hear. I think so, too. Yeah, we have a lot of new topics brewing, guys. So, you know, if you're listening to us, send us your ideas because we have plenty of them. But yeah, yeah, yeah. If you feel like, you know what, I have a really unique story and I want to share it with other moms because somebody might be experiencing this and not saying something just like right now. Vanessa didn't know that she was going to get some random. Right. (laughs) Random drips and drops. (laughs) And Luna's been like going through some massive withdrawals where she just like wants to be like pinching them or pulling them out. Mm-hmm. Mommy, I want to kiss them. I want to <laughs> hug them. I want to see them. Just, like, just, just you know, be like trying to, I just want to smell it. I'm like, there's nothing to smell. Get away from me. <laughs> she wants to kiss them. It's just like everything. And I'm just like, Luna, stop. I think Justine would do like want to smell them because she didn't remember what she did. She just remembered that she was at my nipple. So she would like, uh, I think this is what I did. <laughs> yeah luna is like pulls them out and she'll kiss my nipple and then she'll like start hugging my boob and like i want to lay with them i want to see chi chi i want to talk to them like she wants to do everything with chi 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 chi's are her best friends guys and i'm just like oh my goodness you know what i never said chi chi i don't know why and i asked justine randomly the other day do you know what chi chi is she's like yeah it means go to sleep I'm like, that's mimi's <laughs> you're a little confused there <laughs> it means go to sleep oh my god <laughs> um yeah that's how i'm not diversifying my child (laughs) (laughs) i need to let her know all the lingo because she's gonna be confused she's gonna think everybody's trying to put their kids to sleep oh chichi time go to sleep go to sleep (laughs) but yeah it was a really really nice event and i you know like to continue to go to it to like support other moms whenever they do that um but if you guys have or know of events like dm us because if they're just in your story we're gonna freaking miss it yeah and we want to know about stuff so send us your events so we, we haven't know been to on. one since when super mama social when was that what month uh it was the same day as my bridal shower so oh yeah when was that maybe may may yeah because then my bachelorette was june yeah what angel yeah so, so it's been a good three months since we've been to anything yeah but send us the free ones yeah we like free (laughs) stuff guys we're kind of on a tight budget here so we like or just give us vip tickets and we'll so be there we will be there we'll make it happen. we will make it happen and you know what i'm gonna bring my laptop and i'm gonna be recording people and we can have mini podcast sessions everywhere mobile mobile podcasting i know i should have did that at this event that i went to at the global latch on when i got there i was like damn i should have brought my laptop because there was so many amazing women to talk to there and i really missed an opportunity so maybe next time 
something small like that would be good yeah all right i think that's enough for today guys i gotta clean out a boat when i get home a boat yeah my mom's getting rid of the boat she's donating it and they're supposed to pick it up tomorrow so she wants me to clean it out tonight yikes it's late i know i gotta work at seven um you know where to find us google us guys (laughs) we're the only moody mommies in town stay moody say moody mommies moody mommies moody mommies podcast